What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining me today is Minna Taylor, who is the founder and director of Energize Your Voice. Minna earned her BFA from NYU Tisch and went on to earn her MFA in performance with a concentration in speech and vocal production. Beginning her career as an accent reduction specialist, she graduated. She gradually evolved her theater training into building an innovative approach for professional development. She has activated programs all over the world for such organizations as Uber, Red Bull, City, Ernst & Young, along with numerous startups and nonprofits. She believes that engagements and high performance are possible when professionals are supported to discover their full voice and unlock their true potential. Mena, welcome to the show. Hi, Brendan. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. So we have a lot of people out there who, like I was talking to you before we started recording, who are really interested in unlocking the true potential for their voice, whether this is in business setting, it could even apply in personal relationships, I'm sure. But how did you get into this field and know it was the right um, place that you wanted to be in professionally? You know, I don't think I decided. I think it decided for me. Uh, so that's what I'll preface first. And I think that really speaks to something that you probably promote to your audience a lot, which is when you feel the truth ignite within you, follow it, trust it, and figure out how to make it work. Uh, yeah, so I at NYU, we trained in three core principles. Uh, one was an acting technique called the practical aesthetics. One was phonetics. Uh, and then the other was a vocal practice. And I just sort of started in the work. I just started doing the work. And over the course of my first year at NYU, the transformation was just phenomenal. The way that I was able to drop my breath, the way that I was able to share my voice, the way that I felt so present and engaged and responsive and, and at ease in my body and in my thoughts and in my brain and how I was communicating. Uh, and then I just continued to see that evolve and grow and advance uh, through the remaining time at NYU and then into graduate school and then when I got out of graduate school, I was teaching accent reduction to corporate clients, and I noticed that they weren't breathing, and they weren't as expressive as they claimed they wanted to be, and they didn't have this sense of freedom of expression. So when we say discover your full voice, unlock your full potential, really what that means is breath is the fuel for voice. Breath needs to exist in an open, supple, agile body. Mm -hmm. So if the body is available to the breath, 
The breath will be available to the voice. The voice will now be available to express in very dynamic ways what you're thinking, feeling, needing, and wanting with a sense of immediacy, presence, objective, and strong intention. And so that's really what it comes down to. If you discover your full voice, you really can unlock your full potential because it'll show you what you're capable of when you're not living in habitual limitations. Mm, wow, that's powerful. I'm so, so powerful, dude. I get super jazzed about it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when did you realize that in your own journey, the importance of the breath to fuel the voice? Honestly, so it took, you know, I'm sure everyone can respond to this a little bit, but when I was an undergrad, it was so packed and with all these principles and all these strategies and, you know, different modalities for learning about the body and presence and blah, blah, blah. And same thing in graduate school. And so it really wasn't until maybe like four or five years after graduate school when everything just kind of clicked for me. It all synthesized. And really what supported that, which was a surprise to me, was developing a yoga practice. Mm -hmm. uh, that was totally independent of my work. It was something that was just for me. But in doing that, the level of mindfulness and intentionality that needs to come with the breath and the movement and the presence of body and the, in, and the intention of activation, but ease of body, that's when it really all clicked. And one of the founding principles of at least my practice, which is Ashtanga yoga, is practice and all is coming. It's this idea that we don't need to be result oriented. We don't need to be uh, attached to a specific outcome, but rather if we are intentional and present in a dedicated practice with an objective, right. then the outcome that we desire, we may not know what it looks like, but the outcome that we desire will ultimately come to fruition. Yeah. And so I think that's really when it all synthesized for me. And I was like, dang, because I remember doing some postures when I first started my practice. And I was like, I just don't think that posture is available to me. I think I, other people can do it, but I just will never get into, for example, a reverse, you know, Marichiasana D bind, right? Nobody knows what that means. You can look it up. And then all of a sudden I did it. And I was like, wow, you know, it really is true. It's just like daily practice, daily intention with the breath, with the body, and doing it with a sense of non-attachment is really when things kind of really liberated themselves for me. That's amazing. And I, I love how you pull on these themes from these different areas. Like when you say, I'm going to become a better speaker and you're talking about posture and the breath and yoga, <laughs> some people might think that's unrelated, but obviously it's not. And so that's powerful. And to, to just frame it up in an example, like we have, like I was mentioning, we have a lot of listeners who are like, I either want to monetize my voice and my story really I want to monetize my story and engage with more people so I'm interested in speaking more there's the logistics and the you know, the framework of okay I'm gonna this is how I'm gonna start booking speaking gigs but there's also the execution of what makes an effective speaker so if someone came to you and they said man uh, here's my story I'm already coaching people for example um, I have some online courses but I want to now get out into the realm and do more public speaking what would you say to them as some first steps or some core tenets? We've obviously talked a little bit about the breath and some of these strategies, but where else do you go with someone like that? So when I first start, I, I have 
that's the bulk of my private clients, right? The ones that are like, I want to take it to the next level. I want to get to the big stage. How do I make this happen as effectively and as authentically as possible? And so the first thing you need to challenge yourself to think is, especially as coaches, we listen to people talk about themselves all the time. But how often do we actually sit down and even if we're writing it out in blog form, even if we're doing these podcast interactions, how often do we have to, with this sense of narrative arc, sit down and think about what our journey is and what the purpose behind our work entails? We rarely take the opportunity, even if we think about it, even if we're you know, cognitively connecting all of those dots, speaking it out loud in a formalized way is usually something that we neglect to do. So the first point I would say is, what is your origin story? What is that narrative that's really the why behind the what? What is driving you? What motivates you to bring this work into the world? And that's really the place to start. And I say the place to start exploring that is out loud and on your feet. So recording yourself, you can record yourself, but again, practicing non-attachment to the words that are actually coming out of your mouth. So out loud and on your feet, you'll be, you'll probably stumble through it a little bit. It will not be clean. And guess what? It won't be perfect, but perfection does not exist in the realm of human behavior. So get over it. So uh, practicing out loud and on your feet, you'll start to notice you do that five or six times and you record yourself and you'll notice that the narrative will build a level of consistency. Not only that, you'll find that certain words emerge consistently or certain phrases emerge consistently. And that's when you can really say, okay, I've developed a pretty cohesive narrative here and now I don't need to script it because I've become consistent. And I've created mental memory or muscle memory over mental memory. So instead of going directly pen to paper and thinking, what's my origin story? What am I trying to talk about? Who, what is my messaging? Get up, do it out loud, on your feet, see what those consistent elements are and start from there. And then obviously build out your deck and do it in dynamic, expressive ways and feel playful with it. But if you're looking to start, I really recommend uh, starting in that way. Hmm, That's great advice. If someone came to you and said, I've been asked to speak in front of an audience of, let's say, you know, 50 people, smaller venue in New York City, and they recorded it, right? They're your client, right? They've recorded it, or they've invited you to come. Hey, you're my speaking coach. Are you willing to do this, right? Either way, you watch it, and you look at what they're doing and how they're, like, what are the biggest things you're looking at? One of my curiosities is how much of it is, the actual presentation, so your voice, your body language, your, are you moving too much, are you not moving enough, are you saying um, are you saying like, like mechanics and delivery, how much of it is story, authenticity, some of the points you've made already, and then additionally, as a follow-up question, uh, what are the biggest mistakes that you see if, if you were to record all your clients or you took on five new clients and you watched some of their reels, what would be the patterns and core mistakes that people make? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to answer the last question first, and then I'll go back and talk okay. about the other things. The, sure. big, the biggest mistake I see, and it's super simple. Well, two biggest mistakes, but let's talk about when you are starting. The biggest sure. mistake I see is starting before you're ready. Mm-hmm. Most people get up on stage and, you know, let's say the lights go down and the slides come up and they're like, oh crap, okay, now, right? Uh, as opposed to really taking a second to, that's a lot of energy 
to have to recalibrate. It's you versus 50 people. So you need to sort of come back into equilibrium. Your nervous system needs to recalibrate itself. The breath needs to come back. You need to feel grounded in that moment. You need to really see, as opposed to just look at this sea of people, you need to actually see the people themselves and create focal points for yourself. So you can take a breath and then start when you are ready. That is, I've never heard that. That's such good advice. <laughs> yeah. So start when you're ready. If you start before you're ready. So, and how we look at that in our work is before the impulse presents itself. So if you're starting from your head rather than from your heart, okay, now, as opposed to now, right? So if you're starting from your head, you're going to spend the remainder of your talk, or at least let's say the first couple slides before you finally chill the F out, right? Uh, you're going to spend some of that time trying to catch up with yourself. So you're not going to be present. You're going to be overthinking what it is that you're saying. You're not going to be connected with your audience. And that's the golden time to really onboard them and enroll them into your message. So you're doing yourself a great disservice if you don't take care of yourself in that moment to ground and get ready. The other mistake I see is people forget to warm up. They forget to do an activating body breath voice exercise before they go on. And it can be as simple as like, like they for, just forget to do the most simple things that uh, prepare them that, oh, I'm actually going to have to go and like talk in a moment, right? And yeah. use my body and be in my breath. Whoops. And, you know, an, an athlete wouldn't do that before a big race. Why would a speaker do that before a big, not do that before a big talk? Um, so always, always warm up. Mm. Going back to your previous two questions, uh, or I guess part A and part B. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we look a little bit at content. Um, the only time I'll really address content is if there's too much content, if the points aren't clear, uh, or if I'm trying to struggle what the purpose or function is in mm -hmm. including certain aspects of the content. So if there's not a real flow, we need to understand why things are connected the way that they are. And the only time we really look at content is how are you, I call them transition phrases, moving from one slide into the next slide seamlessly so we can set the audience up rather than having that dead weight from slide to slide, if you're using a slide deck, right? But that even can come when you're moving from thought to thought. So thinking how you're going to interweave uh, those within the talk themselves. Mm -hmm. But when I give feedback, uh, you're talking about how does that authentic voice really come out? And I look at body language and uh, eye contact and hand gestures and tone of voice but that all comes back to the breath. So the biggest thing I'll see is, so for example, sometimes people will uh, lift a heel of their back foot. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. sometimes people will have tension in their hands. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, and and the, it's these minor things. So, the, so these micro activations is what I call them, or their shoulders might just be, you know, a little high. Uh, yeah. And, and all that, says to me is you're, you're not breathing, so your breath is shallow. Uh, so you're holding your body hostage of being fully expressive of its impulses and intention. And mm. so that's always, that's why we start anytime we begin a coaching program with somebody, the first part of it is developing a practice for voice, breath, and body. So that when you get up to be on stage, you have developed habits around how to find access to that. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is, if you're not using your hands, 
effectively, it's because you're not committed to conveying the information. So it all comes back to how are you landing your focus? How are you releasing your voice? How are you creating intentionality in your expression? Are right. you committed or are you half committed? So yeah. are you fully releasing it or are you controlling it a little bit because of fear? And that's really, and that, and that's an, also an okay place to be because as you're getting familiar with content, that that's you know you kind of have to be like, oh wait, crap, what comes next, right? So there there can be those those growth moments, but once you're really familiar with content, if you're still experiencing these disruptions in terms of feeling agile, uh, that's when we really have to go to the body and say, all right, you're not breathing, let's let's start with stillness first. Not stillness, not stiffness, stillness. So we always say, okay, let's. What happens if we're just still when we talk about this? And and let's see if I if I eliminate the opportunity to use your hands, if I eliminate the opportunity to pace around the room, what do you have left? Right? You have your voice and you have your message and you have your ability to connect with the room. Wow. And we can slowly build stuff back in. Yeah, I like that a lot. You know, when you were talking earlier about this concept of waiting to be ready before you speak, it kind of, to me, means taking back control, right? Mm -hmm. Like from the, like, you're, it's kind of like you're nervous, you're trying to please, you got all these people and you're like, let me just go because I got to go put on the good show for them mm -hmm. versus like more like taking back control and saying like, I'm going to start when I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And I really like that concept of more like empowerment. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if there's anything else that you recommend as a way to see it as this is my talk and not like I'm going to give it my way. You better like mm -hmm. it or not, but more like I'm going to take care of myself yeah. process and not rush it and not do something differently for other people. And I'm curious if there are any other strategies or if that mindset in general has come up in any other way to prevent people from, I guess, kind of buckling or feeling pressure or again, looking at it through, what other people expect of them versus how I can kind of take more control in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there are a couple of things at play there and it's a really, uh, it's kind of a challenging negotiation when you think about taking back control. Uh, how I like to look at that is owning your status. Yeah. So I just happen to be in a high status position because I'm the person conveying the information that does not make me better or worse than you. That does not right. make me as a human more valuable, but in this moment, I am the point of focus. Right. And so first of all, putting yourself up objectively in terms of this is just, these are the facts of the situation. I am in a high status position that doesn't make me you know, amazing, that just makes me the central point of focus. So already prepare yourself that that is objectively a, a piece of the puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then beyond that, the biggest thing to keep in mind is it's not about you. So those two things. Yeah, you know, they're kind of opposite, but also both true, yeah. Right, so you're holding status, but it's not about you. It is, this is not an ego moment for you to go and feel praise or feel judgment. That yeah. is not what public speaking of, is about. If you're really there to contribute value, to share something authentically, to make an impact, then it's about them, right? So sh preparing yourself through a shift in mindset to A, acknowledge that internal monologue that may be like, oh my God, I hope they like me, and shift it more toward, I'm really excited to present these principles and philosophies to a new audience that could potentially transform their lives. Mm. And it's a totally different way of looking at it because it's not about you, right? 
it's not about whether you have something in your teeth. It's not about whether you sound cool. It's not about if you're funny, right? It's about, I am here with the full generous intention of saying, hello, everyone. Oh my goodness. We have gathered here. Let's get started. We're going to rock and roll and just, you know, explore some incredible things, right? So it's, it's shifting the mindset a little bit there. I like that a lot. I feel like a lot of people go to speaking engagements and they are very focused on how they perform and how they do, how this will impact their career. Will they, you know, versus I want to go in with that mindset of I want to help as many people as possible. Absolutely. Otherwise, what are you doing? Go get a desk job. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) or like, I don't know. I'm sure there are online forums where all people do is just like compliment each other. But like, that's not what, you know, that's not what public speaking is about. Like, it's not about you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I love that. That's really like a mindset shift. That's really powerful. Yeah. Um, What are your thoughts in in like some, some detail? I'm curious on humor. I find that successful speakers, not always, but I'm seeing this as a recurring pattern in a lot of people, um, sometimes initially just to break the ice and get people more loosed up. Other times I see it as a theme all throughout some talks. And I'm curious where you stand on that in terms of how you coach people to embed it in their practice or not. Well, we're a play-based organization, so I'm incredibly biased in this regard. Uh, But the way I can sort of approach it, and also I'm hilarious, so uh, it's hard for me not not to incorporate jokes. Yeah. Uh, But really, it's like, what's authentic to you? I knew you were going to say that. I had a feeling you were going to be like, what's true for you? Yeah. Yeah. If you're you're someone that's like, "Here, here are the facts and like, you know, we, all we need to look at are statistics and, and look at relevant data. And, and then you go up and you're like, why'd the chicken cross the road? It's going to sound so awkward. So like, don't even try. And also, and this comes from the acting and my acting and improv background. If you try to be funny, you're not going to be funny. Humor comes from upsetting expectation. And that can also be your own expectation. So when humor works, when it's pre-planned, is because people are present in the execution. So it still sounds extemporaneous. Humor can also come into play in unplanned moments where you as a speaker are surprised, which ultimately allows the audience to be surprised because you're having that shared experience. So that's something to really keep in mind. Is it authentic to you? If it's planned, be present in it. Also be prepared for it to be unplanned and and save space for that. It might be looked at as a mistake, but they're really wonderful unplanned moments. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Again, going back to the framework and the approach of let me incorporate a lot of humor into this talk because I think that's what people like and that's what will make impress them and make a good speech versus am I, do I enjoy humor? Is that part of who I am? Does that resonate with this talk? Yeah, I like that. Well, I mean, think about a stand-up comedian, right? If a stand-up comedian goes up there and just gives joke after joke after joke, but they're not committed to the joke, uh, the jokes, they... It's a, it's a subtle negotiation, but if they don't stand behind them or if they're trying too hard or if you smell desperation to get the laugh, yeah, 
it's going to be painful to watch and you'll feel so embarrassed for them. Right. So you, you just say like, stop and just like, tell me a simple story because I'm overwhelmed with this, you know, self-loathing. Uh, so I think it's the same thing in public speaking. It's, it's, if you're, if you're doing it out of this fearful need to be accepted or to cater to your expectation. And this is the other thing I expect or am creating this idea around what people want, but guess what? That's out of your control. All yeah. that's within your control is to go up and say what you really like give a shit about. And yeah. if you don't express that, and if you're tailoring your entire message to what you anticipate people want to hear, then, then you're not speaking truthfully and people will smell that and they'll be disengaged because you won't be as invested in it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Time to ask you for your worst ever talk, however you want to define that, like where it didn't, and, and most importantly, not to make you relive that moment, but what, what did you learn from that? Yeah. Uh, I was like, what was the worst ever talk? Because there are times when I feel, you know, 80% or 100%. Um, I, worst ever talk I gave was for an executive committee who shall remain nameless. It was all men and they hired me. The um, topic was around creating pathways for female leadership within organizations and to understand the current status of female leadership within their organization and how we can use empathy and emotional intelligence to create those broader pathways. Again, all men, and so I identified that at the top of the talk. And then can, I was like, well, you know, they hired me. Clearly, they must be interested in this. Uh, and the entire time, it was like pulling teeth. I mean, people were on their computers, and people were stepping out to use the phone, and right, right. people were diverting to off-topic scenario. I mean, they were just totally disengaged. And then the feedback I got at the end was, um, you know, after like you should have just read the room a little bit because I mean look around you and for whatever reason after a certain point there are fewer women in leadership and I don't know why that is but that's just how it works wow. and, and yeah uh, I guess what I'm looking for is more of like because I don't think you did anything wrong there I'm more like the biggest mistake you maybe there is a takeaway you personally have yeah, from that story I do. But if, Okay. Yeah. I'm curious like what you could have done differently. Yeah, exactly. So I I think instead of, I just felt so attached to all, I was feeling almost indignant, right? I was feeling really committed at this point to like, I'm going to teach them something about female leadership. But again, just as we were saying about earlier, that, that what now became about me. Came about you. Yeah. Right. As opposed to me saying, okay, these people are not picking up what I'm laying down. How can I pivot in the moment? How can I still use these core principles and sort of regroup and come back at them and say, here are the general topics. Let's take female leadership out of it. How can we make this as relevant to you as possible so that you get the most value? Mm. Uh, And so that was my mistake where I just felt I, I, yeah, that's the feminist in me. So that was a really good learning experience when I'm, when I'm, going in with a certain topic in mind and people are not invested, how can I, you know, really engage them and see what's going to be relevant? 
Yeah, and then also like having the presence enough to notice your emotional reaction to what's happening. Like if I were in your shoes, I'd be pissed off. I'd be like, these guys aren't giving me respect. They probably don't care about female leadership, even though their bosses are probably bringing me in here because they need this the most, right? And so disconnecting for, or at least, you know, feeling those emotions, but not living in them and like moving through using anger to be like, I'm just going to shove this down their throats. Yeah. That's a really, I mean, to me, that's like the comedian whose jokes aren't landing. Right. Yeah. And like, and it's not the jokes, but it's more like the audience is like a rebellious audience. And how can you be creative and, and sort of turn it? You know, I've had experiences. I taught an event in Costa Rica, which I think I, we, I told you about before yeah. this. And um, there have been people in there, there, you know, there was someone or there's a couple there and they just were coming at me with a lot of resistance. And mm-hmm. like, you know, if I called on them, first of all, I would be like, raise your hand if you, I did a talk a few days after. I was like, raise your hand if you post on Instagram. It was on how to grow your Instagram. And like, they wouldn't even raise their hand. And it's like, I saw you post on Instagram this morning. Right. And and so dealing with, even dealing with certain people in the audience too. So I I, thank you for sharing that. I know that was probably not your favorite memory. Um, So I appreciate you going into that. But it was like, what a great learning experience. Exactly. You know, it's like practicing non-attachment, but also reading your audience and how to pivot and reminding my, you know, we're all fallible. That is the only like innately human condition, Uh, (laughs) you know, Um, and to, you know, remind myself of practice what I preach, which is, it's not about me. Of course. No, it's beautiful. Um, I have another question for you based on personal speaking experience. Oh, goodness. And, and I get I get really curious around this because, again, these are some of the best opportunities. Now, to give you a little bit more context, I'm mostly talking about personal development, uh, life coach. I do do a lot of business coaching and, you know, money sales, et cetera. But I, in this scenario, I was speaking in New York to a group of maybe 100 people and I talked a lot about a lot of life coaching strategies and principles. And this is mindful for me because I see myself in the future doing more like Tony Robbins styles events where I'm going to have people who I'm going to interact with and do interventions on. And, and so at the end of this talk where I was really vulnerable, I was really committed to the audience. And I shared a story about how um, there was a guy in our office at my last day job before I left Wall Street who overdosed on drugs and died. And no one had any idea that he was um, an addict at all. And um, anyway, we, I shared that story and it was super powerful. And I, I felt like it resonated with everyone. And then we did a little panel at the end with six or seven people who all spoke that night. And um, this one woman said that she had a, a question for me, but it was actually a comment. And she came at me with like very shaming, um, basically saying like, I can't, like, how dare you not know, like, basically blaming me for his overdose. Like, how could you not know that he was an addict? Like, that is so awful. Like, what a terrible thing you did. Like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Like, and and, like, it was crazy because, so my response was very emotionally grounded. And I basically said, like, uh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I like, I hope that you're healing whatever wounds in your past are causing this reaction. And it was crazy because people like sprinted up to me and when the panel broke more than support I've gotten from any other talk. But at the same time, like, I guess the real question is how do you deal with like a very difficult person who could like come out and like explicitly sh- try to shame you? Um, especially when going into vulnerable things that could bring up like pain in a lot of other people. 
And how do you interact, like in a more of an interactive scenario, how do you recommend people go about that? For example, do you recommend people like try to like smell at the room a little bit and like cut someone off if it's getting too inappropriate? You know, what, what's the balance and the mindset with all that? <laughs> uh, so we're talking about speaking engagements, workshops, or both? I would, more speaking engagements, but also for the, like a lot of listeners like want to do their own like in-person workshops where they're going to call on people too. Mm -hmm. I, so I rarely have moments when I'm speaking where people will be antagonistic. Yeah. I've been really fortunate in that. In my yeah. workshops, that's a different scenario because they really challenge people to step outside of their comfort zone and that can trigger some really interesting behavior. Yeah. <laughs> um, people are very protective over their comfort zones. Uh, but when you're dealing with someone, and I think you hit the nail on the head and that's coming from that emotionally grounded place, really thinking empathetically, they don't know me whatever their response to the information they're receiving, they're creating parallels to something, some trauma or some association in their own lives. Yeah. And, and if there's an opportunity to engage them, if it, now it sounds like this woman that you're referring to might've been slightly more antagonizing and, and probably would have just erupted and really derailed the entire event. But yeah. if, it's, if it's on a more minor scale, it's a real learning opportunity for everybody else, right? Yeah. To, to dive deeply into curiosity and authentic inquiry. And, and it's, you know, I'm, I really would like to know more about where your pain is around this, right? Um, and giving them, they, they obviously want to have a voice. So if there's opportunity, give them opportunity to have their voice. But also, again, you're in control. You are in the status position. So by taking the reins through inquiry, you can continue to guide them either toward a resolution or toward feeling like they have de-escalated their own behavior. So that's one. The other one is sometimes you're sim so if someone keeps talking, 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 and you gotta like move it along, uh, that's the perfect opportunity to say, I, what you're saying is so interesting, but in service of time and in respect for everybody else's time, I yeah. really want to move this forward, but let's connect on this after. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Right? It's super simple. It's like you're not invalidating. You're not devaluing. You're just simply asking them to step outside of their ego bubble to acknowledge that other people are here to learn as well and that it's not all about them. If it really goes in off course, right, and you can't control somebody, uh, which I've had happen, not that I couldn't control them, but they were just not picking up what was happening. This was in a workshop scenario. Mm -hmm. And I said, if this is really challenging for you and if you feel like you can't be present in this engagement, which is what we're ultimately looking to build is the capability to be present. If that feels like such a challenge for you, I'm going to invite you to do what you need to take care of yourself in this moment, because this is not serving you in the way that I would like, I have intended it to. And so if you need to leave, I encourage you to do that. Wow. Yeah. You got, you got, it's, I mean, it's powerful, it's grounded, it's authentic, and it also says that this is my event. Absolutely. I, I, I've noticed sometimes people from the ego wanting to try to make it more about them, and that's a whole other discussion. But yeah, this is, this is really powerful stuff because, again, a lot of our audience 
yes, they're looking to get on stage and, and give traditional talks. And they're also wanting to do those talks to build their brand so they can host their own events. And then, you know, especially in the realm of personal development, you bring up a lot of stuff from people's past. And by the way, a lot of my audience, a lot of these speakers, including myself, have a lot of stuff from our past. So our emotions can come into play too. So mm -hmm. the biggest conflicts I've had are when people are in tremendous emotional pain and then they start saying things that aren't so nice. And then that can like start to tap into my stuff. And part of why I was really grateful for what happened was I was able to not get into that emotions as well. I was able to stay grounded and just try to help use it as a teaching and be like, Hey, everyone notice how all this pain is probably a reflection of triggers. And when I talk, this can be hard and I want you guys to all soothe yourself and try to bring empathy to that situation. So that's exactly the right, right course of action. And, and this is what we teach uh, in, in all of our work we do, whether it's for yeah. challenging conversations, stepping up as a leader, being in a public speaking scenario, wanting yeah. to, whatever it is, what yeah. you're, what you're talking about there is really being able to have your full human experience, but have your objective mind where you can assess the experience without reacting to yeah. the experience. So you can still be in it. You can still allow it to have impact. It can resonate internally, but that's where mindfulness really has to click in. And you can say, I, this is challenging for me. I'm feeling really triggered. Oh, man, I feel like I want to cry right now. Ultimately, what's going to be in service of me accomplishing my objective? And that's, that's where you need to, it takes a long time to become that mindful and that grounded. Some people have it innately and intuitively, but it, it can be a real practice. And that's something we, we teach through the voice body practice. It's about creating that internal awareness of reactivity. That's awesome. Well, this conversation has been helpful and I could go on for hours. So uh, I really appreciate your time. Where can people uh, find more? Do you have any go-to resources you recommend? And obviously feel free to share your website and, and your personal business. Mm -hmm. uh, so go-to resources. I mean, I'm all, because we're experiential based, I'm always a fan of if you're really looking to explore some of these things, mm -hmm. go to an improv class. Yeah. Go take a storytelling class, go to a meetup and challenge yourself to network with people that might feel intimidating to you. So, and understanding in all of those practices, be present in them, be playful, learn the principles, but really, how are you behaving within them? Are you holding your breath? Are you sharing your voice? Are you authentically listening? So yeah. really challenge that in New York City, there is a wealth of resources in that regard. Yeah. Uh, but uh, any city in the country, any you know, mid-sized to big city will have some sort of improv club or something, uh, but really challenging yourself. And that, and that can also mean, when we're talking about improv, it's something that really challenges you to step outside your comfort zone in a public way. So that could also be a singing group or a dance class or you know, what, whatever feels good to you, why I like improv is because it also works with mental agility. It's, it's verbal. It's about interactivity on a verbal level. It's about cohesion of message and pursuit of objective. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can find that, do it. 
for our purposes, definitely check out our website. We have a bunch of public classes. We're launching two new classes in August. Uh, right now we have a three-week public speaking class. It's pretty consistent. So you can check us out, energizeyourvoice.net. And always follow us on Instagram, at energizeyourvoice, or you can follow me directly, which is at minutetaylor.eyv. I think it's underscore EYV. Um, yeah, so check us out there. Uh, we're always sharing fun content. So uh, we'd love to sort of build our community through that. Beautiful. We'll put all those links in the show notes for you guys to make sure that you have access to Minna's website, Instagram, et cetera. And Minna Taylor, again, thank you so much for coming on, shedding light. You, I know you have so much more stuff to say, so let's keep in touch. <laughs> <laughs> really a, a powerful and a new perspective on speaking that I have not heard before because I, I do yoga, I do the breath work, but I've never connected the dots on speaking. And I think you've done an amazing job in connecting the two and thank you must be so grateful to have you. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is speaking should be as easy as breathing. So Ooh. Like if you're that. not if you're not breathing, you're never gonna speak. So keep Guys, it. If you're not up. breathing, you're not speaking at <laughs> Mina Taylor EYV. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendanhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two weeks hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.